chapter one. We'll be we'll be there. We'll be actually flipping around a little bit today, uh, so just make sure you have your your Bible in front of you. It'll make it a lot easier for you. I'm going to read from three passages. They're up in front of you. Uh, if you want to hear them, uh, you can follow along up there. So Matthew chapter one, starting in verse one, and then we'll do verse seventeen. And then we'll, we'll close with Matthew twenty-two forty-one through 46. And it's on the screen if you want to see it. So Matthew 1, 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And jumping down to verse 17. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. And from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to, to the Christ, 14 generations. And then finally, Matthew 22, 41 through 46. Now, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question, saying, what do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, the son of David. He said to them, how is it then that David in the spirit calls him Lord, saying, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put, I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how is he his son? And no one was able to answer him a word, nor from that day did anyone dare to ask him any more questions. Let's pray. Lord, as we look at this text of Scripture, Father, there is a richness that, Lord, I pray would be communicated through my words this morning. And I pray, Lord, that they would see, everyone would see, and we would be of one accord to see the beauty of what you are like, Lord Jesus. I can't do that. None of us can do that on our own. So, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would come now, make known in our hearts the beauty of your truth. And may we rejoice, may we worship you for, Lord, who you are and what you're like. Help us now, we ask, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, the last two weeks, uh, if you remember, this series has been entitled Genealogies in Advent. Um, Go back real quick to the title. This week, we're um, we're covering the last week, which is uh, essentially King of Kings. So, there's three titles that Jesus is given at the beginning of Matthew's gospel. He's, he's called the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. That's the first one we looked at. Uh, and then we looked at the son of Abraham two weeks ago. And then this week we're going to look at the son of David. And, and again, if you want to think about what those, those titles mean, they're basically like hyperlinks that lead us to a whole different story, that lead us to a, a beautiful truth about who Jesus is. So I, I don't know if you've ever seen um, the Chronicles of Narnia. Anybody ever seen that? Okay, so you've seen the movie at least. Uh, maybe some of you read the books. But Narnia, for you who haven't, uh, Narnia is a magical land uh, that, is, that is entered through. C.S. Lewis wrote uh, the Chronicles of Narnia. It's a magical land, and, and it starts off with a young girl entering through a wardrobe. Uh, and now, when she enters into Narnia for the first time, Narnia is bitter cold. It's, it's been in winter for 400 years, I think is what it was. And Narnia has experienced what they called continual winter. They called it uh, winter without Christmas. 
And so if you think about, if you were outside the other day with like the bitter cold, I want you to think about that kind of feeling, this bitter cold for 400 years and no Christmas. So what, and they say that because what it's meant to do is it's meant to say there's no joy. There was no rejoicing. There was no hope. So it was continually bitter, perpetually cold without the slightest ray of hope. Now that's, that story, I love that picture because it really pictures what our world is kind of like. Especially, and I want you to have that in your mind as you think about, as we enter into Matthew's gospel. Again, he's not saying that there's actually winter. What he's saying is, though, is that that's the kind of world we live in. World wars which are blistering winter on our face. Hunger and poverty which feel like the ice cold wind bitten fingers. And all of the bitter cold is meant to do something to us, and it's meant to remind us that we live in a fallen world. And just like Narnia was under the power of the white witch that kept winter for hundreds of years and never Christmas, that's the world that Matthew's writing into. The world was under the power and the sway of the evil one. So I want you to hear, again, so keep that in your mind, keep that kind of bitter, cold feeling that rushes across your skin. Picture that as we read now a ray of hope. Here, I'll read it again. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So I want us to dive into that son of David piece. If you're taking notes, I want you to see uh, that we need to first, before we can even enter into Matthew's gospel, we need to acknowledge the need for a king. See, and this is kind of far removed from us in our own society, and you could also call it prone to wander. That's how I would want to put it. And the song, Come Thou Fount, comes to my mind. It's prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I, I love. And unlike the people of Narnia who were just under the sway of the white witch, we are actually participants or once were participants in the winter that we experience. The bitter cold now, in the Old Testament, I, we're going to look real quick, turn real quick with me to 2 Samuel 7. Now, we're going to spend a little bit of time here today, but to understand what, Jesus, what Matthew means when he says, Jesus Christ, the son of David, we need to go back and understand David a little better. But before David, I want you to go back and give you some context. In the Old Testament, at the end of the period that was called the Judges, I don't know if you've ever read the book of Judges, it's a very, very dark book. And over and over and over and over again in the book of Judges, it makes this statement. I want you to hear it. Judges 21, 25. This is what it says. I think it's like 16 times it says it in the book of Judges. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. I want you to hear that again. Now, in our day, that sounds like, of course, that's what everyone does anyways. But that's really bad. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. That means that everyone was prone to wander. People were wandering around. They had no sense of what was right or wrong. There was no king over Israel. There was no one to judge or to have, have a ruler. And what it shows us is that we have wayward hearts. And I would call this wandering hearts. We have wandering hearts. Now, we cannot think ourselves any better than the people of Judges. I remember you can, you can very easily read the book of Judges and see people hacking other people apart and think, well, I'm not doing that. I've never done that. I'm not that way. I don't want us to think in that way, though. 
We need to see the book of Judges, and we need to see even the background that David is called king in. We need to see them as people just like us, that we are the ones with wayward hearts. We're not just wayward, though. We're also, that second point there, we have rebellious hearts. And these are two ginormous problems, and I would call this bad to the bone, bad to the bone. And you can yep, take that for what it is, it's bad to the bone. And I mean that in the fullest extent of the term. So we see these, the people are wicked and judges, and then they're given a king in and and, and Saul. And if you remember Saul, Saul was given a king, the people wanted a king, God said, I want to be your king, and they said, no, we reject you. We want a king just like all the rest of the nations. Finally, they get a king, and newsflash, he's worse than any of the people were. So now, now it's even a worse situation. Now you have a rebellious, wicked, wayward people ruled by a rebellious, wicked king. This is, this is where it gets bad. So we have a need. We have a great need, and it's for a just ruler. We need someone to lead us out of this perpetual state of winter. The bitter cold that that grips us, that that rushes across our skin. We need someone to break this cycle of winter. And the Lord does this. He does this. In 1 Samuel 13, it's up on the screen. It's not in 2 Samuel 7. 1 Samuel 13, 14. The Lord has sought out a man. This This is the Lord speaking to Samuel. He says, the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people because you have not kept what the Lord has commanded you. That's what, I'm sorry, that's actually the Lord speaking to Saul, and that's what he's saying. And Samuel's then commanded, go anoint me a son from Jesse's line. And he goes, he goes to Jesse's line, and you know how the story goes. And there's one particular son, so listen to uh, what the Lord tells Samuel to look for, First Samuel 16, 7. He says, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on, on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as, a man's, as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And I want you to have that in your mind as you're thinking about Samuel going, anointing a king. He, he's not looking on the outward appearance. The Lord's not raising up someone who on the outward appearance is, any, is, is any, anything at all. And then 1 Samuel 16, 11 through 12 Then Samuel said to Jesse, so Jesse brings all his sons out. Samuel says, none of these. They're all all too big. They're they're not not what the Lord desires. And then Samuel asked Jesse, are all your sons here? Verse 11, and he said, there remains yet the youngest, but behold, he's keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him, for he will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. The Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is he. Now let me ask you a question about David. And we ne- this never even crosses our mind, I don't think. Why do you think Jesse kept his son back? Why, why did he keep his son back? He was told, he was commanded, bring all your sons to me because I pick, I'm going to pick one to be king. Why do you think he kept his son back? And people always, I was always taught, and I think this is semi-true, there's a piece of this that's true, that he was just young. He was just a little baby. But when you hear David talk about his youth, this guy literally used to rip apart lions and bears, okay? So I don't think it was because he was like a little wimp. I would argue that Samuel's actually, or Jesse actually hated his son. 
This was the son. This was the son who was the reject. This was the son who, who was left out in the wilderness. You go out and tend the sheep. We don't want you. You see this later. You can see this all throughout 1 Samuel. They didn't enjoy having David around. They hated David, actually, for whatever reason. But God saw David's heart, and he said, that's the one I want. So it wasn't something on the outward appearance. So now Samuel anoints him. David goes on to slay giants, to fight wars, to become king of Israel. But the question then is, where's David going to build the kingdom? Where do I build it? Now remember what we saw two weeks ago. We saw Abraham. God blessed Abraham and said, I'm going to make you a blessing, and I'm going to give you this land, Jerusalem. Where does David build his kingdom? (laughs) He goes to Jerusalem. He goes and he's going to say, well, I could build it anywhere else, but I'm going to build it in the place that God, God told me to. It is appropriate for us to think of the city of Jerusalem in terms of God's promise to Abraham. David came to Jerusalem to fulfill that promise. Okay, now, so have that all in your mind as, as like a preload to 2 Samuel 7. Now, now, go with me and continue to think about the blistering cold of the time of winter all around us. And here's what we need to do. We need to recognize the kind of king that we need. And now we see God's promises. Now, 2 Samuel 7, you can turn, look down there uh, to verses 5, 5 through 7. Now, this is what the Lord tells Nathan to go tell David. And he says, go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, would you build me a house to dwell in? Now, now David asked the Lord, let me build you a house. And what, David, what the Lord's going to say is the exact opposite. I have not lived, this is the Lord speaking, I have not lived in a house since the day I was brought up, I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day. But I've been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. And in all places where I have moved with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel, who I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, why have you not built me a house of cedar? God tells David, my presence has never dwelt in a house. David says, I want to build you a house. And God says, no, you're not going to build me a house. I'm going to build you a house. You, you have nothing. I'm about to give you everything. You were, were the rejected son of your father that I anointed and I brought here and I'm now going to bless you. Now listen to what he says. This is profound. Verse 12 of chapter 7. He says, when your days are fulfilled, or basically when you die, and, and you lie down with your fathers, verse 12, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. I want you to notice, there's two things I want you to notice. The first is the kind of kingdom, because this is very important, the kind of kingdom. It's the promise for a kingdom. And and what he tells, and he goes on in verses 14 and 16, he says, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, which we see in Solomon and many of the other kings, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, who I put forward, put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. I want you to picture yourself as David for a second. You were the rejected son of your father. You have literally lived your whole life being an underdog. And now God's saying, hey, yeah, after you, I'm going to literally build up your kingdom forever. 
your name will never be displaced from the, the, the earth. <laughs> That's pretty amazing. So there's two promises here, and they're, they're essentially, they're, the first is the established kingdom, and the second is the promised son. So the first, the established kingdom, or established forever. This son of David will literally be on the throne forever. And he says, listen to verses 12 and 13 again. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring. Now, I want you to notice again that word offspring, that word is singular. That is not many offsprings. That is one singular offspring. I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. Okay, we have to have this preloaded in our mind to understand what Matthew even means. So there it is, the established forever. It's going to last forever, but it's also the promised son, that, that, that offspring piece. So it's the promised son. And he says in verse 14, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. The promise is for an offspring to be a son of God. Okay, so Tom Schreiner, I love what he says about this. He says, so the kingdom of God has a threefold dimension, focusing on God as king, on human beings as the subject of the king, and the universe as the place where his kingship is worked out. And that's very important as we now enter into, now I want you to start thinking New Testament. So this is what God promised David but he, so he promises him a kingdom, but he, almost, he also promises him a kind of king. A kind of king. And this first piece is the shepherd king. He's going to be a leader over them. Now God promised David, he said, you know, you used to shepherd the people, you used to shepherd sheep. I'm bringing you out of the, out of the, out of the fields to shepherd my people. A king who will be gentle and tender and at times sharply correct the people with his shepherd's crook. Ezekiel 34, 15 through 16 puts it really well. He says, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord. I will seek the lost, I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. This is what the Lord promises. He promises a kingdom forever, but he also promises the king. And now we remember back to what Narnia is like. Bitter cold. No, no warmth. 400 years. We turn to the New Testament. Turn back real quick to Matthew 1. Matthew 1. So for Matthew then to say in Matthew 1, 1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David. He's not, he's not whispering something to us. He's shouting at us. Here he is, basically. And I want you to see, this is kind of strange, but I'll explain it. DVD, King of Kings. Now jump down with me to verse 17. Look what he says in this, in this the end of this genealogy. He's crescendoing to this moment. Look what he says in verse 17. He says, so all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to Christ, 14 generations. So something's really important here for David, for Matthew. He's wanting us to pick up this 14 piece. And this is really helpful, what uh, Greg Gilbert says about it. He says, Matthew stylizes his genealogy divided into three generations of 14 
And 14, as any good Jew would have known, was the number arrived at by adding up the value of the three Hebrew letters DVD, which is David. Matthew, like all the other Christians, practically screams as he begins his story about Jesus by saying, King, King, King. Over and over and over again, he's saying, here he is. Here's the son. Here's the promise. So you have this idea of the eternal throne that will sit forever. And then we see the son who's going to sit on it. And then you see Matthew rip open out of this winter. There's a moment in the Chronicles of Narnia, and I love it. It's like one of my favorite parts of the whole the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, where they're riding in a sleigh, in the White Witch's sleigh. And they say, uh, I love what it said. He says, uh, the one, of, one of the... The snow starts to melt, and it starts to get warm. Trees begin to bud. The bitter cold is gone. And this is what one of them says. They said, this is spring. What we're experiencing is spring. What are we to do? Your winter has been destroyed, I tell you. This is Aslan's doing. And essentially, basically saying, this is the king's coming. Winter's breaking away. Winter's breaking away. The king is here. So I want us to see this as, as we close up, as we finish. I want, us, I want us to rejoice that this is the kind of king we have. Rejoice, brothers and sisters, because this is the kind of king we have. And he's our consolation, or he's our comfort. And I want you to see, if you're taking notes, at the very top, you get nothing else from this, get this, that since Jesus is King of kings, we can rejoice in the hope of his rule over the whole earth. What Aslan does to the white witch, Jesus Christ has done in the lives of us. And that is the best news I could tell you on Christmas. In the words of joy to the world, joy to the earth, the Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ, while fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains repeat the sounding joy. Joy, 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 because Messiah Jesus has come. And I want us to rejoice for three reasons. I want you to rejoice first, and especially today, rejoice for He is born He is born. That's what we're celebrating today. Rejoice, for he is born, and he's a son of David. Then when we turn to the New Testament, we start to see people keep calling him son of David. Luke 1, this is what the angel declares to Mary. Luke 1, 32-33, he says, He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him, here, notice this, will give to him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. If, if Matthew's not clear, all the other gospel writers are like, here he is. Here's the king. He has come. In the words of joy to the world, no more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. Now, we don't see that in its fullness today. We still live in winter. There's still winter all around us. But we see the inbreaking of spring all around us. So it's not just, so we should rejoice because he's born son of David. We should also rejoice because he is confirmed. And he's confirmed by the people. Now Matthew's gospel is just, it's just laden. I mean, I could give 
even more examples than what you're seeing today, but of the number of people that come to Jesus and say the following. And it's the most unlikely speakers. Listen to them. Matthew 9, 27. Here's a blind man. So the people of Israel, they're rejecting Jesus. But then there's a blind man. Listen to what he says. And as Jesus passed on from there, two blind men followed him, crying aloud, Have mercy on us, son of David. And Matthew's saying, the blind men see it. No one else sees it. The blind men see it, as opposed to those with sight. Or how about the demon oppressed? Matthew 12, 22 through 23. Then a demon oppressed man who was blind and mute was brought to him, and he healed him, so that the man spoke and saw. And all the people were amazed and said, Can this be the son of David? The expectation is building and building and building. The demon oppressed see it. And let me give you one more, Matthew 15, 21 through 22. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman, so someone not of the people of Israel, from the region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. Gentile women see it. But the men who should have saw it missed it. They missed it entirely. So we should rejoice because he's confirmed by all the people. Let me give you one last one. We should rejoice because he is God incarnate. This is the best news I could tell you today. We should rejoice because he is God incarnate. And listen to the Lord's words, sit at my right hand. The Pharisees and the religious leaders have been challenging him. I want you to turn real quick to Matthew 22, and this is where we'll end. Matthew 22 uh, and we'll, we'll look at verses 41 through 46. And we'll end. This is from Jesus' own words. I want you to hear it. Now at this point, leading up to this moment, as you're turning there, uh, they've been questioning Jesus, trying to trap him, trying to challenge him. Uh, and Jesus turns the table on them. Now they, they just ask him a ton of different questions, trying to, trying to trap him, and this is what he says. He asks them a question. Now, when the Pharisees, verse 41, now while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question. What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? Now, Jesus was not unaware of the answer. He's wanting to get them on the same page that he's on. And the obvious answer is he's a son of David. And they're right. They, they go on to say in verse 42, they said to him, the son of David. Now, I want you to see something. Where these people were trying to trap Jesus, Jesus was trying to bring liberty to them. Except they were missing it. They didn't see it as liberty. Their questions were hostile, seeking to bring Jesus' demise, but Jesus was leading them to grace and truth, and they missed it. But I want you to see, listen to it again, verse 42. What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, the son of David. But listen to what he says in verse 43. He goes on, and he said to them, How is it then that David, in the Spirit, calls him Lord, saying, The Lord said to my Lord. Now he quotes a passage that's used more than any Old Testament passage in all of the Bible in the New Testament. Psalm 110. He quotes it. It's used like, I think it's like 30 times in the New Testament. It's, it's a ton of times. He says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. And the issue Jesus is pointing out here is that the Pharisees held that, that David was far greater than any of his descendants. 
Okay, so the Pharisees held that David, everyone who came after David, David was greater than. But what Jesus is pointing out here is that David is calling his Messiah, the Messiah, Lord. How can he do that? That's basically what he's asking. Listen to what he says in verse 45. He says, if then David calls him Lord, how is he his son? And no one was able to answer him a word, nor from that day did anyone dare to ask him any more questions. The mystery that Jesus is pointing to here is what was concealed to them is made known to us. Is that David was able to say, my Lord, because he's pointing to God incarnate. He's pointing to the one who would come, the mystery of the triune God revealed to to his people. That God would actually send his son to be Messiah, to reign forever, and his son would reign in justice and equity. Listen to what C.S. Lewis in the Chronicles of Narnia goes on to say. Wrong will be right when Aslan comes in sight. And at the sound of his roar, sorrows will be no more. When he bears his teeth, winter meets its death. And when he shakes his mane, we shall have spring again. Brothers and sisters, we celebrate Christmas because the eternal word from everlasting has come and made himself known to us. He's dwelt among us. He's lived a perfect life. He died a perfect death, and he was raised to life. And now he sits on his Father's throne forever. So every single time you walk up and you see someone and you say, Merry Christmas, you're committing You're saying to the white witch, you're saying to the prince of the power of the air, you're saying to Satan himself, we win every single time. And I know it's simple. We just say Merry Christmas, right? But that's what it is. You want to to help advance the kingdom of God today? You tell people with the greatest joy today, Merry Christmas. We have a king. Rejoice, brothers and sisters. We can cry out with the magi who come, where is he who's been born, king of the Jews? We cry out, he's come. Because Jesus is king of kings, we can rejoice in the hope of his rule over the whole earth. And later in Matthew we see, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is God with us. Brothers and sisters, we live now as ones who've been liberated from the great winter. We don't live as ones who live back in bitter cold winter. It's still bitter cold because the winter is not yet past because Jesus has not returned. But it's broken. The power of sin over this world is broken. So go today. Rejoice. Rejoice in that we have God with us. And by faith, believe. Believe and trust and rejoice that you are made righteous in Christ by faith. So we're going we're gonna, to, um, I want us to close now uh, by singing Silent Night. And we have a really special uh, uh, song. Uh, Nina's going to lead us actually in Russian this morning. Right? Are you not feeling well? Okay. Um, so I, I just want us, I want us to just hear this as we're hearing it. I know we don't know the words because we don't know Russian, but I want you to hear it. As I want you to hear it as the sound, not just, not just of someone singing in Russian. I want you to hear it as the sound of the winter breaking. All around the world, all over the earth, this sound is being done. So whether our friends, whether people in our lives know it or not, Jesus is king.
So I'm gonna I'm gonna hand it over now to Nina, uh, and she's gonna she's gonna lead us in a song, and I'm gonna close us out in prayer.